So welcome to day two evening. Congratulations. Another day well spent. I'm going to talk about a few things uh, tonight, primarily using working off two lists. Uh, One list is known as the five hindrances and the other the five faculties that turn into powers. So I'm going to, you're going to get empowered perhaps. But before um, or as I do that, I'd actually like to tell a story. This is a story from the time of the Buddha. It's actually a, an analogy that the Buddha gave. The Buddha often spoke uh, in analogies and similes as teaching uh, tools. So if you can, actually just imagining, maybe closing the eyes. And imagining that you were walking on the path, the road here, and you came across a little sign, and that sign said, Enlightenment this way. And you thought to yourself, Is this a trick? But sure enough, you started walking on this path and you encountered uh, fallen trees and sticker bushes, huge boulders in your way. Would you keep going? The Buddha did. He kept going. And there's this analogy that he gave of at the end of this path is an ancient city that was once bustling with goodness. Temples made of gold, bedazzled with gems, all kinds. The people that lived in this city, deep in the jungle, they were content or happy. They had farmer's markets, fresh organics. They had all of the finest music. And they just enjoyed all of the comings and goings of their life with a sense of peace and ease, tranquility and happiness. That they never wanted to leave. And they didn't. They just stayed content in their city. And eventually the path that the Buddha found to this city 
started to get um, overgrown. The jungle moved in. Brambles on the path. So, the way that this is talked about was that over centuries, less and less people would seek this path. And as time went on, the path became overgrown with fallen trees and bushes, many obstacles. So the Buddha, during his journey, (coughs) found the answers to freedom from suffering by rediscovering this path long forgotten. Of course, by suffering, I mean the dissatisfaction with life that we all face from time to time. So this ancient city, of course, it's not out there. It's right here. In the center. In that still, quiet place. In our own hearts and minds. So you can open your eyes if you'd like. So having experienced the freedom from dissatisfaction. The Buddha, like others before him, marked the path in a clear way for us to find the ancient city. After all, who here doesn't want joy, peace, ease, contentment in their life? Anyone? I didn't used to, actually. I used to think that was, I don't know, not for me. Not in this life. That has changed. So, even if we resist, uh, at first, this kind of uh, idea of peace and ease, I believe it's our core desire. It just gets obscured gets covered. So luckily, the Buddha left a few maps for us to follow. And to find this ancient city, it takes a few things. We need to have a few things. We need to gather a few things, cultivate a few things. Uh, The first is uh, some kind of confidence or faith, inspiration. We can't really go anywhere without some inspiration, without some faith. And, you know, Mary Grace talked a little bit about this last night, this kind of what brought you here, some kind of confidence, some inspiration, some faith that this might just work, sitting silently in a room full of people, not looking each other in the eye, following the breath. Being present. Somewhere, you read a book, heard a teacher, that was inspiring to you, and you began along the path. 
of course, on this path, it also takes some effort, some energy. You may have noticed after lunch, we might be a little in short supply. Mindful awareness. Very important tool on this path. Concentration, this uh, one-pointed awareness, this cultivation of, uh, can I just stay here, this breath, this step, this phrase, can I be fully present? And then wisdom. Wisdom to me is uh, really a combination of all four of the other um, blossoming into the fruit of wisdom, knowledge, experience. We can read a thousand books and never gain one and never gain one ounce of wisdom. Lots of knowledge. So this wisdom is cultivated through uh, all these other faculties. So these are known as the five faculties, uh, which later become powers as we cultivate them. They become uh, unshakable. They're helpful on this path. We need them. So this city, of course, is our own hearts and minds. So once have I heard that there was a a keen-eyed cripple who came across a blind giant. And they were both fumbling around trying to progress on the path. And the keen-eyed cripple could see the way to go, but wasn't making any progress and was in a lot of pain. And the... the uh, Giant, the blind giant, just kept bumping into things, going the wrong way. Sometimes just run and then hit a tree. So they came across each other on the path and they realized that they have to work together. So the blind giant, known as effort or energy, propped the uh, keen-eyed cripple on his shoulder and off they went. So these first two factors are very important. This faith that can kind of see based on experience, based on inspiration. And the blind giant who has the strength and the fortitude to keep going. Thus have I heard. So all of these uh, faculties have to work together. You know, Mary Grace also talked last night about this uh, mind training. Like this, kind of, it's actually it's a popular kind of. It was. I don't know. Actually, I don't see the shirts and sweatshirts anymore. It's at, mostly at Vajrapani, I think. But I remember being on retreat at Vajrapani and seeing that you know this is mind training, and I was like, yes, that's exactly what I'm doing. Training my mind. Training this mind to be present again and again and again 
I remember uh, at a time when I was in Thailand, and I went. I studied martial arts for many years, and uh, I went to Thailand to study mar- martial arts and t- to study Buddhism in both monastic and in uh, formal Muay Thai training. And I would go to the Muay Thai school, and I would say, yeah, after I'm done here, I'm going to go to the monastery. And they'd all laugh. Aha, why would you do that? This is crazy. can't do anything. And then I would go to the monastery, and I would say, after this, I'm going to go to the Muay Thai school. And they would go, ah, they laugh. Why would you do that? It's such a waste of time. <laughs> and for me, it was this balance of mind training and body training, physical training which has saved me in so many ways. So this is what we're doing here. Training the mind. Taming the mind. Collecting the attention. We have to first tame the mind. When we begin to give attention to the moment as it arises, we see the movement of our minds as we try to keep our attention on one thing like the breath or walking. You've experienced this a bit, right? Sometimes it settles. Certain times of the day. Certain one sit. One sit doesn't. Another sit does. Bouncing back and forth. So often we discover how completely out of control our mind really is. Have you discovered that? Yeah. Flighty, alighting where it wishes, the Buddha said. This mind. That's a good thing because it's the first insight. The first insight is, wow, this mind is way more unruly than I thought it was. And that's a great starting point because without that, we can't go anywhere. We're the blind giant. Lots of of effort, but we can't see where to go. So I like to think of it also um, that, you know, Bob was talking about the kind of puppy mind, how you train a puppy so it's not neurotic and, and uh, cowering. And I think of, um, any, any dog owners here? Please raise your hand if you're a dog owner. Okay, so tell me if this is true. You take a dog that hasn't been trained on a leash to the beach, and what happens? They run to the water, and they're over here, and they're chasing this bird and that, and then back and forth and up and back and you're like, come here, come here and it, it just comes kind of close to you and then walk, scampers off. Right? This is what happens with the mind in a wide open space like a meditation retreat where you just give it free reign. So we have to, just like you have to train a dog, you put a leash on it and you hold the leash right next to us as we're walking on the beach and then the, the dog will pull, chase that, Say so says, squirrel. <laughs> but it will come back. So eventually we can actually let go of the leash and the dog will just stay. <laughs> this is the ideal. <laughs> just like the mind. More training, perhaps. This is the ideal. And that eventually, uh, I've seen this. I know this is possible. Might need the dog whisperer. But I've seen how a dog will stay. 
with its master. And call and come right back. Come right back. Won't wander off too far. In meditation, we're beginning to see how the mind rebels against our wishes. It rebels against our wishes to do what we want to do. Stay. Okay, I'm just going to focus the attention on the breath, body awareness all day. No problem. 30 minutes maybe. No problem. So the more that we try to do that, right? Sitting, walking, eating, taking a shower, off the attention goes. The good thing is that it's not really a problem. That's what I was talking about on the first night. It's not a problem. It's an opportunity when we can recognize it. We're training the mind, just like we're training the puppy. I think about this uh, sometimes like a stream. I, I think of a, um, a stream that looks calm, that uh, is barely moving You know, when you look at it. But then you put a stick or a log in the stream and then there's a wake. And this is what mindfulness, this is what, okay, aim your attention at the present moment and keep it there and see what happens. This is what happens. All of a sudden there's a wake that gets created, a future and past. Oh, wow, I had no idea there was, my stream was so, uh, was moving so quickly in these directions. So as we make an effort to head down this path of freedom, we have these obstacles that get in our way, these brambles, if you will. The comforting thing is that we all have the same obstacles. They just express themselves a little differently. But we all pretty much, as far as the Buddha pointed out, we all pretty much have the same. They hinder our effort and make meditation difficult or challenging. You experience these? Maybe a couple? (laughs) Luckily we know what they are, because the Buddha pointed them out. I remember the first time I heard about the hindrances, and I was like, how did that person know? I was dumbfounded, because I was just lost in my mind. You want to know what they are? You already know, I'm sure. Wanting. Craving. This kind of wanting mind, this reaching towards the next delight. Aversion. Anger. Ill will. This pushing away of experience I don't like. I don't want. Sleepiness. Drowsiness. Sloth and torpor, dullness of mind. This uh, sometimes it's described as the sinking mind. That kind of, even though there's energy in the body, the mind just is dull. Restlessness, the opposite, and agitation, and finally doubt and disbelief. These are known as the five hindrances. They hinder our progress. They hinder the path. They're the brambles, the stones, the sticker bushes, the fallen tree. We have to keep going. They are, as Ajahn Liam said, our worthy adversary. 
And there'll be one or two that will, you know, rise above the rest. So wanting clouds our view of the present moment. We start thinking of all the things we miss or don't have. Want, uh, we're craving for things to be different than they are. When this happens, we often go off in some fantasy about how this moment can be better. If only I had, or if only. I have a quick story about about wanting, desire. So I was sitting at this uh, monastery in Thailand several years ago. It was a 10-day retreat. It was very barren. And every morning, it was a beautiful retreat, and I was getting very settled in, you know, third, fourth day in. So every morning, breakfast, you know, sit early morning before the mosquitoes. Then uh, you start to smell breakfast, get up, walk on this. It's still light was just coming up, dirty, this kind of sandy path to the open-aired kitchen, where every morning, rice Gruel. Good old rice gruel. (laughs) So one morning, about four or five days in, I'm feeling very concentrated, by the way. And then a whiff comes through in in the morning sit, and I start to think, pancakes? (laughs) And then banana pancakes. And I start to think, why not? <laughs> They're vegetarian. There's plenty of banana trees. Like it's really easy to make. I think we're having pancakes. And then my mind is off, <laughs> desiring for the rest of the sit about pancakes and how good they're going to be and butter. And they got to have butter and honey. There's going to be honey. You know. And then the bell rings, and I jumped up, not faster than I had any other day. And I'm, not, I'm like, you know, that mindful kind of rushing walk. Because <laughs> it's about, you know, it's like 100 yards or something. And I get to the kitchen, and I'm so prepared. And what was there? Rice gruel. And I just started laughing at my mind. I was like, oh, this mind is so ridiculous, right? Of course there's rice gruel. There's been rice gruel every day. Why would today be different? Besides, Thais don't even really have breakfast food. It's rice gruel. That's breakfast. And it was just one of those experiences of like saying, oh yeah, this mind can just go away. Fantasy. Just a, a, a sniff, a nose experience. So that's one of my craving stories. I have a lot of them. It's another one about rice pudding. But I won't I won't it usually has to do with food. Cookies too. Aversion. You know, we might get heated, taken over by emotion. This makes you may experience this throughout the day. Somebody slams the door and we're off for like fifteen minutes. How rude that person is. <laughs> Right? 
This is the mind state of I don't like, I don't want. Sometimes it's just uh, feeling the resistance or trying, the resistance of trying anything new or different. Like don't shake the system. This is working just fine here, just the way it is. This is uh, some of the kind of uh, aversion, aversion to uh, change. So the next agitation, restlessness, the opposite of sleepiness. Right? We get stirred up. The mind is bouncing around. Monkey mind is often what's talked about. Mary Grace mentioned that the other day. And I like this idea of monkey mind. Any of, the, any of you have seen monkeys in the wild, you see that they, they'll stay still for a moment and they're kind of scanning and then they look and they run and they, they, or they jump and grab and swing and swing and, je- and grab and fall and grab with their hind leg and then, they'll, and then they sit and they squawk and then they jump again. And they're just they're grasping forward, back, Left, right. This is the mind, the restless mind, agitated. We have a lot of energy that makes us restless. A lot of mental energy, sometimes a lot of physical energy. This is why walking meditation and qigong are so helpful. So helpful for the restless mind. I'll get into some ways we can work with this in a minute. Doubt or disbelief. I wonder if this has come up for you. Why the hell did I come to this retreat? I can't do this. Meditation just isn't for me. Maybe next year I'll go to Hawaii. <laughs> you know, this, this doubt, doubting the path, doubting when we hit the brambles, when we're stuck in the sloth and torpor, we're st- stuck in the sluggishness. We're stuck in the agitation. This isn't for me. Maybe this five days is too much, I think. Or the opposite, the grasping, the, grasping, the wanting, right? Five days isn't long enough. I should, we should, I should go on a month long. <laughs> Two weeks next time, for sure. So, this is the non-classical way of looking at the hindrances. You know, the Buddha gave, uh, like I said, analogies. And he gave some analogies to the hindrances and being freed from them. And I like these, so I thought I would bring them in. The Buddha spoke of, uh, to be freed from sensual desire is like being relieved of a heavy debt. It's like being relieved of a heavy debt. Being free from aversion is like recovering from a physical illness. To be free from sloth and torpor is akin to being released from prison. That one always struck me. To be free from agitation or restlessness and worry is like being liberated from slavery. And to be freed from doubt is like crossing a dangerous desert safely. Safely arriving to an oasis. So sensual desire. Agitating the mind is comparable to being heavily in debt. This kind of uh, desire that just is constantly clouding and weighing heavy on the mind. So to be relieved as if someone just paid off a debt you had been worried about. 
the tension created from aversion being quite literally like a disease or a dis-ease. Suddenly, we're better. Sloth and torpor doles and imprisons the mind. Agitation, restlessness, and worry can control the mind to such an extent that one is completely at its mercy. And doubt, doubt leaves one in a state of insecurity, not knowing which way to turn, as if traveling through a desert. So for these reasons, the challenge is to see these hindrances as they arise so that we can have some way out of them. So when we hit the brambles or the fallen trees or the stones of our of these hindrances, that we have the awareness to keep going. The effort. If we can recognize them and contemplate them, as a meditation, one's practice, this practice will lead to the purification of them. But without the awareness of seeing, without being able to uh, step out of the experience, then we're just caught, we're just lost. And this happens all throughout the day to all of us. Don't pretend. <laughs> I'm not. Because Awareness doesn't care what it's aware of as long as there's awareness. The hindrances, the sloth, the torpor, the greed, the hatred, the sadness. Awareness of what is the mind state. This is the freedom. This is the way out. The Buddha talked of not recognizing the hindrances when they arise or during meditation practice is mis-meditation. So if we're kind of getting lost in a fantasy, it's the Buddha pointed to mis-meditation. We're misguided. And this is where this present time awareness is so helpful. So a few ways of working with. Working with the hindrances as a practice itself. So instead of pushing it away or avoiding it, <coughs> sleepiness, sluggishness of mind, agitation, agitation is like this. Turn the attention towards it. Bob often says, turn toward the skid. Turn into the skid. I've used that so often in my own practice because my instinct is to pull the other direction. Cut and run. I'd rather go get a cheeseburger than stay at this retreat. You know? Not really, but that's what has come up in my mind before. Knowing the conditions, acknowledging they're passing away, and when they're not present. So throughout the day, can we bring awareness to when the hindrances are not actually present? But that's going to cultivate less hindrances. And to know when they're not present. This uh, helps for future prevention of the arising. So uh, one of the ways it's talked about in the text and the suttas is knowing the arising, the conditions 
for the arising of hindrances, the and then turning awareness towards the hindrance itself, and then knowing the the passing away of the hindrance. Surfing the hindrance. So hopefully this is making sense. One of the ways that um, the Buddha often pointed to and is talked about in the story, there's this, this character in the mythology of the Buddha known as Mara. Mara is really the personification of the hindrances. The personification of what's called the kalesas, the torments of mind. Greed, hatred, and delusion. Sometimes I think of uh, this whole story, the way it's broken down in lists, as the ten kind of unwholesome states of mind, the five hindrances, which we're talking about now, the three kalesas, greed, hatred, and delusion, and the one, which is the delusion that we are a separate, fixed, and permanent self. And so, whatever way we can kind of come to awareness around it. The reason why I mention this is because, you know, the Buddha... Uh, in his battle with Mara, sits in strong determination and says, whatever, bring it on. Whatever comes my way, I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to stop meditating. And Mara, the mind, the hindrances, through some stuff. You may, have, you may know this. Some, some anger, some ill will, some resentment some remorse, some regret. And the Buddha with strong determination stayed present. And toward the anger and the ill will, toward the self-hatred, toward the shame, toward the guilt, loving kindness, compassion. So one of the ways that... um, the Buddha did final battle as he said, I see you. I see you, Mara. I see you, guilt. I see you, shame. I see you, sadness. And I'm not turning away. I'm going to just keep right here with you. Here we go. There's another story of uh, Milarepa uh, inviting the demons of the hindrances in for tea, setting a place setting. Come for tea. And then they would get upset and leave. You mean I don't have power over you anymore? No. I'm befriending you. So Mara keeps coming. Even after the Buddha's enlightenment, even after the full awakening, Mara doesn't leave. The hindrances still pop up. Difficulties still arise. This is what I love about this story and how humanizing it is. And the what the Buddha continued to do is turn his attention and say, I see you, Mara. I see you. I'm not scared. I'm not turning away. 
I'm going to keep going. So oftentimes what happens in our own morrows, in our own minds, is we get this uh, multi-hindrance attack. So it's not just one, but it can be like two or three, right? Coming at you, arrows and spears. Awareness is key. So I'm going to bring back in the five faculties and talk about I mean, I've talked mostly about how we can work with it, but I'm just going to run through these. (coughs) Awareness, mindfulness. See the hindrance. I see you. I see you, aversion. Or uh, Ajahn Samedo's phrase, it's like this. Aversion is like this. And then staying with that experience. Watching it arise. Watching it as it passes away. It will pass away. This too shall pass. That's wisdom. When we, when we can have faith in the law of impermanence. So much of our fear and our anxiety is around not having faith in the law of impermanence. So effort, right? Increasing our effort during those um, difficult times. Strong determination can be helpful. Like is talked about, uh, you know, the Buddha in that this final sit, the final battle. Rebelling against the mind's tendency. There's an inclination that has been a groove that has been created over years and years of conditioned habitual response. And so, what we're doing here is we're saying, I'm not going to follow that anymore. To the best of my ability, with loving kindness and compassion and forgiveness in my heart, I'm going to shift my attention back. Be aware of the hindrance instead of lost in it. Confidence. Others have done it, so can I. Concentration. You know, uh, when we start to get sluggish or sinking or lost in aversion... Increase our curiosity. You know, this is so helpful in this practice. The finite movement of breath. Or really, uh, uh, sometimes, like Mary Grace was saying with walking, sometimes a vigorous walk back and forth is really helpful up and down this hill. I like to walk up and down the hill when I'm feeling that way. And sometimes minute lift, move, place, shift, lift, Move, place, shift. This is the concentrated mind. This is helping to build concentration. So these are just some of the ways we can begin to work with these minds' tendencies to uh, uh, progress on this training that we've all undergone. There's a phrase I like to use. It's a teaching that um, I learned a long time ago. And and the way I see it is what we're rebelling against here, because I use this term a lot, rebel. I call my group Rebel Dharma, because I believe that the Buddha was saying rebel against the the mind's tendencies to be unhealthy. And how do we do this? We have to rebel against what's familiar, predictable, safe, and painful. 
Familiar, predictable, safe, and painful keeps us stuck in the cycle of suffering. This is unfamiliar. And when we're really paying attention and giving attention to the moment, it's pretty unpredictable. Mary Grace talked the other night, and one of my favorite uh, statements is, uh, uh, you know, the, the search for a resting place is burning, it's suffering. To not need one is cool, is easy. We crave for stability. We crave for predict for predictability, but in that predictability is suffering. Because it's not possible. So my hope is that we can begin to change our own habits of letting the mind do what it wants, getting carried away, and begin to really enjoy the, the these aspects of our ancient city. Just one of the last images that I think about, I don't know if you guys have been to Asia or Southeast Asia, but I was talking about Bora Bador here. You know, they're building a temple, um, the Mahabodhi Temple, which is in Bodhgaya up on the hill. And they were going to build the uh, Bora Bador Temple, which is in Indonesia. And um, the beautiful thing about that particular temple, it's the largest Buddhist temple outside of India. And it's uh, where I decided to become a Buddhist in like 2001, 2000. Before that, I was just a budding Buddhist. And uh, what happened is that this huge temple had been overgrown by the jungle. The jungle moved in as Buddhism left Indonesia. You know, there was a couple volcanoes and, you know, devastations. And, and then the, 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 these, the, this temple, there was a few of them actually, and they got, uh, the jungle moved in. And then so some, you know, archaeologist or anthropologist at some point <coughs> found the, the remnants of some of these stones and temples. And then there was this big undergoing, I think it was the Dutch actually, possibly the French. And they cut back the jungle and there was this huge, this huge Buddhist uh, temple that was part, that was center of an ancient city. And I just think when I think about that story, that analogy from the Buddha, uh, that that is somehow, in some ways, what we're doing. We're uncovering that which we've had all along. So let's just sit for a minute, settling in. May we each awaken to our true nature. This original goodness 
Thank you for your practice. Please carry on.